Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? We are in a series called Uniquely Luke. And it's all of the passages and stories in Luke that are only in the Gospel of Luke. They're not in any of the other Gospels. And so today we are talking about Mary. Here we go. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home, and greeted Elizabeth. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your word. Father, would you open up our hearts? Would you encounter us? Would you invite us? Would you pour out everything that you have for each one here today? And we will give you the honor and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is Messed Up Lives. Aren't you glad you came to church Messed up lives. For point one is the invitation to a messed up life. I want you to put yourself in Mary's position. She is probably a 15-year-old Jewish girl. She is betrothed to be married to Joseph, who we know from another place is this very upright, righteous, good guy. He is a carpenter. He's got a good job. This is like the Jewish dream of a young girl. She is on the dream. She is, she is going to accomplish the dream. She's engaged. It's going to happen. You can imagine her planning the family, planning what it's going to look like. She's, they're very, going to be very respected in this religious community. She's very righteous, and her husband is right. I mean, this is just, this is her, her life is going according to plan. And then an angel appears to her and says, Crazy stuff that God wants to do in and through her. And she says, ah, I am a virgin. How, can, how could this be? And he says, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you. I, I'm here to prepare a way for this encounter you're going to have with the Holy Spirit. And her response is this. 
I am the Lord's servant. Whatever he wants, let's do this. Let's do this. Fast forward 30 years. John the Baptist is preaching in the wilderness and he's baptizing people. And the the ones that are coming to him to be baptized are the the tax collectors and sinners. And the tax collectors are kind of the guys that work for the Roman government that are excluded from the Jews. They're hated by the Jews because they usually cheat people to get rich. And so they're, they're coming to John and the sinners, you're like, well, aren't we all sinners? Well, this, they, this was a specific term for people that were no longer trying to keep the law. There were so many laws that had been added and so many things and people just got tired out. Some people just said, we've tried, we can't do it. But John is preaching, come as you are, God is offering a new beginning. Come and get baptized. God wants to forgive you, and he wants to give you a new beginning. And here's the plan. He is going to, this is Luke 3, 16. He is going to baptize you. The word baptism means to immerse. He said, I'm just just doing water. This is just, I'm just getting you wet. But I'm preparing you. There's one coming who is going to baptize you, immerse you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. There is one coming that is going to encounter you and that encounter is going to fundamentally mess up your life. (laughs) Whatever you you thought your life was going to be, he's going to come and he's going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. Fast forward 2,000 years. Today, God is on the move. God is moving. And, and, and all uh, any person can do is similar to what Gabriel did is to, to prepare for encounter. John the Baptist, hey, all I've got is water and you've got good intentions. That's great. But that's, that's what man does. The Holy Spirit's coming. The Holy Spirit wants to encounter you. And so, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a guy, but, I, but I'm here to say that God is on the move and God is looking for people that will say, whatever you've got, God, yes. We live in America and of course the American dream is that this is a land of opportunity and, you know, whatever you're, if you're willing to work hard, you can achieve it. You got to make a goal and have a goal and have a dream and work hard towards it. And it usually with most people, it's different for everybody, but for some people it involves a, some education and getting the, the right job and, and getting the right spouse and, of course, 2.5 children. Um, and being able to retire at a young age so that I can then do whatever I want to do and just kind of like this idea of the American dream. God's dream is different than the American dream. God is saying, are you willing to have your life interrupted? Are you willing to join me? And and we say this, uh, how can this be? I am broken, I'm a sinner, uh, I'm not that spiritual, I'm not that good at spiritual things. And here's his answer to us. If you being evil give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I will invite you to encounter, if you will go with me, 
There's nothing I can't do. I want to immerse you, overflow you, and I will baptize you, not just with the Holy Spirit, but with fire. I will burn away lesser things. I will ignite in you the very things that I want for you. I am looking today. There's an open invitation. This is a day of great favor. God, but God, God is, is inviting. He's inviting us to let our lives be messed up for the kingdom of God. To not get our way, but to get his way. That's point one. Here we are. We're on to point two. Isn't this going fast? Point two is how your life will be messed up. First thing he's going to mess with is your relationships. Mary is betrothed to this really good guy and she's looking forward to this and now she has to bring this really good guy news. I'm pregnant. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. I, I, didn't, I didn't cheat on you. And he's like, mm, I don't think so, sister. And, and so he's, he's just heartbroken at this news that, that she has gotten pregnant and the betrothal that he was excited about, he's going to have to divorce her. Betrothal is much stronger than engagement. You actually have to get divorced. And so he's got this plan to divorce her. I mean, this is a strained relationship. This is about to be a broken relationship, all because God started messing with Mary. And he's got this plan and he goes to sleep and he gets his own encounter from God and says, no, this is, everything she said is true. And so then they go through with the marriage and they go down to Bethlehem for, because of the census and the baby is born. And 40 days after that, they do the dedication in the temple, which we will read about next week. And then it, it says in Luke, they go back to Nazareth. They're planning to raise their family in Nazareth. Now, we get more information in Matthew's gospel. We don't know exactly what happened in Nazareth, but it was not working. They moved from Nazareth to Bethlehem and rented a house in Bethlehem. The wise men actually come to the house. Jesus is about two, year, two years old when the wise men. But what happened in Nazareth that they decide we can't live here anymore? I'll tell you, I, I can imagine what happened. <laughs> You've got two groups of people in Nazareth. One group is just like, okay, they had a baby out of wedlock. That might not be a big deal here, but back then, I mean, this is a totally Jewish, religious culture. Everything revolves around the synagogue. So she is an immoral woman to, to most. And then there's others. She's told the story about the angel and stay away from her. She's the weird one. She's, she's crazy. She's, she's, she's crazy. She's had experiences. And now Joseph's had experiences. And it's like, no, no. And so relationships are all strained. Because of how God has come into their life. So uh, I got saved my freshman year in college, the spring of 1981. Asked Jesus into my heart. And I know he came. And I go back to Milton where I live for the summer. And I, have, I go back to my old friends. I go back to my family. I go back to my, my old way of doing life. And I'm very comfortable in that. 
although I'm, I'm, I'm now saved. I, I, I prayed the prayer. I believed it. I, I understand the gospel. It's not about how good I am. It's how good God is. And, and I've given my heart to Christ, but I'm back into my whole old lifestyle. And so I come back to the University of, of Wisconsin-Madison here in the fall of, two, of 1981. And I literally am living two lives. I, I am... I'm half of my life is in the bar and half my life's in the Bible study. <laughs> and I've got two groups of friends that don't know about each other. <laughs> and I'm I'm just I'm just keeping these two lives going and I'm just trying to have it all. And uh, I come back from one amazing weekend with family and friends. Most of my friends were at Whitewater, but they all came back that weekend, and it was uh, just a great weekend. Our family band played. I played trumpet, and, and it was really fun, and, and there was a city tennis tournament that I won that weekend, and people came out to watch me, and I'm just feeling really good about myself and about, about family and friends and people liking me, and all of a sudden... I'm reflecting on this, and I have this thought that was so clear, and I didn't know it was God speaking to me, honestly. I just, I, I didn't have language for any of that, but here, here was the thought. It came just as clear as could be. You can have all of this or God, but in the end, you will give an account to God. And it was, it was so clear that, there, that there, are, there are two choices and and I knew, I, I don't know how I knew, but I knew there was a lot packed into it. I knew that if I really chose God, it was going to cause trouble with everybody. I, because I knew how we treated Jesus freaks. I knew how we talked about them. I knew how my friends talked about them. I knew how my family talked about them. And, and, and we had a very wide definition of Jesus freak. Basically, anybody that talked about Jesus when it wasn't Sunday morning. It's like you shouldn't be talking about him. I mean, unless you're having a prayer, a meal, or before bed, he's not part of everything. That's, you're a freak if Jesus is, anyway, whatever. And I'm just like, I have got a vision of how straining this would be if I went all in for Jesus and only had one life, and it was all about Jesus. But here was the other thing that was very clear to me. Once again, I, I didn't know how or why, but I knew this, that when I died, it wasn't going to matter anything what my friends or family thought about me. It, it wasn't going to make a hill of beans. It didn't matter whether they thought I was good, bad, ugly, whatever they thought, didn't matter. Because when you die, it's only what God thinks. That's the only opinion that matters. And, and so I can live my life for my friends, or, and the choice was right before me. I can live my life to be popular with my friends or family, and in the end, experience this profound disappointment that really, at the time, I'm like, to disappoint God in the long term, what a failure of a life. Or I could disappoint everybody else and please God. And, and, to, and to me, you know, I didn't know much about it, but I'm like, I just live to try to please God. And everybody might not like me here, but I'll never regret it for all eternity. And I'm like, the invitation to have a messed up life was just so in front of me. And I'm like, let's do this. Let's see what happens. Oh, what a mess. I, I cannot tell you how messy it was. People thought I was in a cult. Part of it was my personality. You know, I was kind of a, kind of a bulldozer and just 
telling everybody, witnessing for Jesus, you know, pray this prayer, you're going to hell. I mean, I wasn't the most diplomatic guy. Um, and, and so we had my family members were worried about me, and, and then poor Alice's, Alice's folks were just beside themselves. They were already worried about their daughter, and then... And then she, she wants to marry me, and they see this as like sealing the deal, and, and so they're, they're just terrified about it, and so we get, we get married anyway, and, and then <laughs> I was an investment broker in Madison, and, and I felt like God was calling me into the ministry, and when that opportunity came, I'm just like, this is going to push Alice's parents over the edge. I, I, I mean, what? They found out that I was going to be a minister, <laughs> Here's what Alice's dad said. Well, if he's going to be that way, he might as well get paid for it. <laughs> we thought that would push him over the edge. We're like, okay, all right, whatever. Anyway, it's all funny now, but it wasn't then. They're, they're dear friends now. They live down the street from us. We play cribbage with them every Friday. Here's Jesus, Matthew 10, 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What is this, what is this saying? Jesus saying this, I will mess up your life. You follow me, I'm going to mess up your life. Because you're going to find out real quick that everybody had an idea of how you should live your life. Everybody had an expectation of what it would be and what it should look like. And you're going to disappoint a lot of people when you follow me. And it's not going to be easy. And I'm telling you right up front, it's going to mess with your relationships. Because no one else can be first. I have to be first. I have to be the reason why you do stuff. It affects when, when, when you say yes to Jesus, I am your servant, let's do this. It will affect every decision you make. It started with Mary. Right when the angel leaves, she's got a whole new plan. She's gonna go visit Elizabeth. Why? Because she's pregnant, Elizabeth's pregnant in her old age. Uh, this, is, this is the next right thing that I need to do. It affects every decision they make. They, they go to Bethlehem and Herod is gonna kill the babies. So God speaks to them, you need to go to Egypt. And so they go to Egypt. Then when Herod dies, go back to Bethlehem. But there's a bad guy there. So God speaks to them again. Go back to Nazareth. All the people that don't like you, go back there. Raise the boy in Nazareth around those people. And they're not, they're not deciding anymore their own life. God decides. Once God's will is clear, we do that. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You can give him, here's my desires, here's my restlessness, here's what I'm thinking, God, burn it. Burn it, burn it, burn it, and show me, just show me what you want. I don't have to agree with it. I don't have to think that, wow, that's a great idea. I never thought of that. No, just make it clear. I'll do it. I'll do it because that's what I signed up for. I Just fill me with your spirit. Fill me, burn away the other options, and, and let's 
do this. Here's Luke 3, 9 through 14. The axe is already laid, already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Here's what John says. If you want to go this way, it's going to affect everything. The acts is going to lay to the root of your motives, the root of your life, the root of everything. God's not going to improve what you've been working on. He's going to end what you've been working on. He's going to start something new. It is going to strike at your motives. It's going to affect every decision you make. The tax collectors have been deceitful. No, he's going he's to strike at the root of that, and you're going to it will be more important to you to be honest than to get ahead. It's going to hit at the root of your stinginess of this dog eat dog. I'm just trying to get as much as I can. No, you're going to share. You're going to, you're going to, you got two, you're going to give one away. You're not going to live in that root anymore. I'm going to come, I'm going to take the, the discontent, the human restlessness that it's never enough, never enough, and I'm going to hit the root of that thing. And I'm going to start over, and you're going, to be, you're going to find yourself content. You're going to find yourself, if God has me here, then Jesus, you and I can do this. If this is your will for our life, we will do it. If this is my pay, if this is my position, let's do this, God. Nothing is hindering me because I've started over. The axe goes to the root. And isn't it interesting Oftentimes when we think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, we think of the Mary, the Joseph, the prophet, the, the pastor. That the, We think of church. We think we need the anointing in church. And John says, no, no. Here's the plan. You guys are going to be baptized in the Spirit and with fire. Why? So that you can live your life better. So that you can do the most. And he gives them the most basic things that need to change in their life. This is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to look like. It's going to look like you being better at your job, more honest, more God-glorifying. It's going to hit you at the root of who you are, and it's not going to just affect the big decisions like, who am I going to marry? Where should I work? Should I go into ministry? Should I do it? No, it's going to affect how you live every day. That's, how, that's the level that he's going to mess with your life. C.S. Lewis, in Mere Christianity, he talks about the difference between religion and relationship. And he said, he said the spirit of religion is, off, is, is similar to paying taxes. I owe a certain amount of tax, so I pay it because it's my duty. I'll get in trouble if I don't. But what I'm really thinking about is, all, what am I going to do with all the money after taxes 
are paid. And a lot of people, they kind of treat God like that. I'm going to do my duty. I'm going to get that out of the way, give him a little money, and I'm going to be on my way. And, and he said, no, but, but relationship is different. Here's what, he said, here's what he said, and I'll just read what he wrote. The Christian way is different, harder, and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours, both harder and easier than what we are all trying to do. You have noticed, I expect, that Christ himself sometimes describes the Christian life as very hard, sometimes as very easy. He says, take up your cross. In other words, it is like going to be beaten to death in a concentration camp. Next minute, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He means both, and anyone can see why both are true. So here's the question that I have for you today. Is your Christianity working? And what I mean by that, is your Christianity powerful? Does it transform your everyday decisions? Is it, is it joyful? Do you feel like you are an ad, on an adventure with God? That's the question. And here's the image that I have. I want you to picture a house, okay? And real Christianity is inside of this house. But to get into this house, two keys are needed. It's not just the key for the door, but there's also a, 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 a deadbolt that you have to have a second key. And so you gotta, you gotta have both keys to get into this house. Okay, so one of the keys is you have got to be able to say to God, I am your servant, not my will, but your will. Let's do whatever you want to do. I am willing to die to myself, to die to my dream, to die the American dream. You are Lord and whatever you want. That, that will unlock one of them, but it will not, it will not get you into the house. There's a, there's a second key, and that key is this. God, you love me, and you are for me, and you want to fill me to the overflowing with your Holy Spirit. The Christian life is not just about being empty. It's about being filled, too. It's not just about dying. It's about living in resurrection life. One is you picking up your cross, God just killing you. And the other one is this easy light yoke where you are so in unity with him and so filled and immersed with the spirit that you are walking in union with him. Both keys are necessary to, to walk in the Christian life. And oftentimes in Christianity in America, you only do one key. <laughs> It's either we're the truth and we're angry at everybody. We're all about the truth. Everybody needs to die to self and the church is selfish. Da, 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 da. We're miserable and why aren't you miserable with us? And praise God, someday we'll go to heaven. But right now, we're just 
sinner saved by grace. And then there's another group that has the other key. And they're just like, yeah, we, we just love the Holy Spirit and God just is for us and he has all these dreams for us and we have dreams and, 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 all, and the Holy Spirit will help you accomplish your dream. And you could have your best life by, you know, if you serve God, you're gonna have your best life and it's gonna go great for you and you're gonna be amazing and da 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 da, da. And okay, that's, that's a message. That's, that's a very popular American message. Jesus is your helper to, to make you great. But if we will take both keys and we will say, Lord, I'm willing to die and I'm asking to be filled. God is inviting us to live in this, this place, even though it's messy. So we just got done watching a couple weeks ago now, Jesus Revolution. And it's a true story about the, the early 70s and Chuck Smith is this very conservative preacher in a very conservative church and they're doing the truth, they're doing the truth, they're doing the truth and, and uh, his daughter is struggling in this environment and uh, she meets this hippie, that was the day of hippies, named Lonnie Frisbee. And Lonnie Frisbee is not only a hippie, he loves Jesus. And so she tells her dad about him, and, and the dad is like, no, that doesn't go together. If, you, don't, you don't do both. And she, she said, no, you, you've got to meet this guy. He, he is a hippie, full on, but he loves Jesus. And so she brings him home, and, and Chuck Smith is just, his whole world is like, well, who is this guy, and what? And, and, and Lonnie Frisbee's like hugging him, and just like, I want to come to your church. And so, so then the next Sunday, Lonnie, I'm ruining the movie for you, that's sorry, that's sorry, it's okay. Um, so, so Lonnie Frisbee comes to, you know, everybody is there, everybody's cold and sterile, and the truth, and there's Lonnie, just filled with joy, just... He's just there like, amen, I love this. And uh, so then Lonnie decides to bring his friends. And this is where it gets really messy in this church. So now you've got the people in suits and ties, and you've got the hippies coming in barefoot with bandanas and tattoos, and, and they're real excited, and they're not excited, and, and, and it's... And, and then Chuck Smith brings in these musicians that are, that are more the hippie kind and more and more hippies are coming. And, and, and there's this, this precious scene of this elder saying, you are ruining our church. And, and, and he's like, well, what, what, do you, what do you mean? Said, All these hippies coming. He said, well, how, how am I ruining? God loves these people. Isn't Jesus for those people? Well, of course Jesus is for those people. But, but what, I mean, what I mean is this. They're coming in barefoot with dirty feet, and we've got this new shag carpeting. And, and back then, I have no idea, but shag carpet was the thing. Anyway, they're getting our new carpet dirty. And Chuck Smith, I love, I love this scene because I understand, Pat, pastors want everybody to be together. They want everybody to be happy. So it's the next Sunday. Chuck Smith is at the door with a basin of water, Everybody that's barefoot has to sit and let, he washes their feet to welcome them to church. Hey, we're so glad you're here. We're, we're so glad you're here. And then, and then the, guy com, the guy comes that, that is angry. And he goes in and then the, 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 one of the biggest hippies comes next. He says, as, as he's washing, he says, why don't you go sit next to that guy in the salmon suit? <laughs> Guys, 
Here's the bottom line. This is not our church. This is his. It's his first. And second, it belongs to whoever God wants to bring here. And I'm saying it now. I'm saying it now. We need to sign up for this, and here's why. Uh, here's why I love that movie. And if you haven't seen it, we will show it. When it gets out in video or whatever, we'll show it on a Tuesday night, and here's why. It is such an honest movie. It doesn't paint this, when revival comes, everything will be perfect and wonderful. No, when revival comes, it's really, really messy. And you've got strained relationships. You've got people doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. You've got leaders doing things in brokenness that are cautionary tales. And there's just so, there's so much in there. But honestly, my identity is not we have to have revival. That is not my, my identity is Jesus. I just want to please him. <laughs> However, I think this is on his, his, his calendar. I think this, that he's doing something in America. And the river is rising. And you might not find a seat and have to go somewhere, you know, over here instead of where you like to sit because somebody, why are they there? Well, you need to love them. You need to welcome them, whatever, whatever they look like. Point three, last point, we're almost done. The benefits of a messed up life. First, feeling the favor of God. Here's what the angel said to Mary. Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. You know, A.W. Tozer said, God, God is easy to live with. He's easy to please because he doesn't just look at the action, he looks at the intention and he smiles when his children are trying to please him, even if they're not doing it exactly the right way. He said he's very hard to satisfy. He won't be satisfied till we're just like Jesus, but he's very easy to live with. He's easy to please when we just want to live to please him and in his favor. And so Mary, Mary is already living this way. And so when this huge mess comes, she's like, yeah, let's do this. I just want to please God. I want to Whatever he wants to do, let it be to me according to what you have said. Whatever that is, let's do it. I don't need to know all the details. Let's do this. This last Wednesday, we celebrated at a funeral one of the, the pillars of this church for many years, John, John Tessman. John was one of those. He got saved later in life. But he was all in right away. God messed with him, and he's like, yep, I'm in. And he was a carpenter, and he hung drywall, and he was so good at what he did. Everybody wanted John to do their drywall because he was, he was so, so good at it. But John's identity wasn't carpenter or drywall. His identity was Jesus. He would sit out in that foyer when he retired and talk to people and just, just always a smile, always something good to say about Jesus, about church, about everything, and so he got cancer and was in the, in the hospital, in the vet's hospital. He had served the country. And they brought in hospice. Whenever they bring in hospice, it means it's that, that unless there's a miracle, this is going to be soon. And I'll never forget the last time I visited him. You know, he's got tubes everywhere. And it's, 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 he's, he's clearly near the end. And but all he wants to talk about is Jesus. And he says, he says, he says, Pastor Tom, I will wake up in the middle of the night 
and the presence of God will, will just be resting in the room. He's like, it was like, he said, it's like God's waiting for me to wake up so we can talk. It's like he's there just kind of waiting and I wake up and boom, he's there. Is there anything like feeling the favor of God? Is there anything like, he said, I don't know if I'm going to get healed or if I'm going home to heaven. He said, it doesn't matter to me. He is here. He is with me. The second blessing of a messed up life, number one, feeling, feeling the favor of God. The, 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 the second is that you get a front row seat to what God is doing around you and what God is going to do through you. Mary, it says in Luke 2.19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. This is why I believe Luke interviewed Mary. Mary is saying, here's what happened at the birth. Angels came and appeared to shepherds, and shepherds came, and they said all these stuff, and, and the shepherds were just going out telling everybody what had happened, and, and Mary is just like, God is alive, and he's doing stuff all around me. And then she says this to Elizabeth. First, Elizabeth says to her, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. God has taken me in my humility, in my brokenness, and he has changed the world through me. And it will be known in the generations to come that I partnered with him, that I had a role in this. God did this for me. He didn't need to use me. He chose to use me. And, and, and because of that, I am affecting generations. John the Baptist was overwhelmed by this. He said, There's, guys, there is one coming after me. I am not worthy to unstrap his sandals. Yet I am his voice right now. He is, I am partnering with him. He is using me. There is no privilege like this. So here's John, a vet. He works with carpentry. He's not a, he's not a pastor. He's not a prophet. He's just a, this is, this was his church for decades. And, uh, his son brings home a, a friend one day. And this friend, it's not, he's not the right crowd. <laughs> he's into all kinds of stuff. But John listens to the story, and, and he's from a, a home where the parents are divorced, and both mom and dad are struggling with addiction. So he, this kid is basically raising himself. He goes to Madison East High School, where John's son went. And so John just decided, my home is his home. He has no parenting at all. So he's welcome here. And they became friends. And John, of course, told him about Jesus. And this young man came to Christ. And then John brought him to his church. He didn't, that's what you do. You just, you, you, you do what you can and love people. And, and then you get them in a place where they can be accepted. So he comes to the young adult group. His name is Shane Holden. 
And, and Shane, I'll never forget the first time I met Shane. The very first, we were down at Union South doing our college and career. I was the college and career pastor. He comes up to me after the first message, and he's got Vicky with him. And he says, would you, would you marry me and my girlfriend? And we, we need to get married. And I'm like, let's do it. So Shane, Shane went on. He was my youth pastor up in Faustin for a while. Then through a number of prophetic experiences, founded Mad City Church. Mad City and Lake City went together. And a lot of who Shane is and what Shane did are in the foundation of this church. Literally, come as you are. That's Shane. Giving boxes, that's Shane. Me preaching in blue jeans, that's Shane. <laughs> Shane's got his mark on this body. Shane, Shane was here in the front row for John's, John's funeral. Now Shane is pastoring a church in Onalaska, over 2,000. I talk to him almost every week. Last week, they had 1,400 people watching the live stream. Shane has led thousands to Christ. But without John Tessman, there's no shame. Without somebody looking past the brokenness, the, the drugs, the rebellion, the attitude, somebody loved him and brought him in. And of course, because Shane was so broken when he got saved, his heart is for the broken. There is a revival going on in Onalaska, folks. Uh, the week after Easter, I'm going to be doing a Friday night at their focus conference, and then I'm doing Saturday night and the two Sunday mornings at their church in Onalaska. There is something going on, but I want you to know something about how God keeps score. All of Shane's fruit is in John's account. Well, that doesn't seem fair. God is generous, and everything Shane does, the generations will know John Tessman's name <laughs> because they came in through Shane. And I'm not saying John didn't touch a lot of people directly, but he did. But this is how God keeps score. When you and I give our lives fully to Jesus and for his purpose, it's not just our fruit. It's the fruit of anybody that we influence for good. Anybody, anybody that we touch, anybody that we make a sacrifice for, any missionary that we send, any, anybody that we're, we're part of, God is very generous in how he keeps score. You and I can change the whole world. Come on. A rich welcome into heaven. Here's 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The New Living Translation says you will receive a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you take your calling seriously and you, you seek to please God, and, and, and 2 Peter 1 lists a number of qualities which are like the everyday qualities of perseverance and kindness and self-control, and, and you will let your life be touched and messed up in every area and, and, and try to please him in these small things, you are going to get this grand entrance. So I was here Wednesday for the funeral. I didn't do the funeral, but I was sitting in the back and John's daughter-in-law, Joe, told this story. 
the last, the last time that she visited John. John took her hand and said, Jojo, I am so grateful for death. <laughs> it's kind of morbid. And he explained. He said, death is the passageway to paradise. The Osbournes visited him right near the end, and, and they came in expecting to pray for healing, but John didn't want prayer for healing. John wanted to go home. John was excited about the grand entrance. John was excited about what's happening on the other side. And this is the amazing thing, guys, about saying yes to the messed up life, is as you get older, you don't get more depressed, you get more excited. Because the best is yet to come. And the more you live for Jesus, the more you look forward to seeing his face and that welcome on the other side. I'm so grateful for death because it means I don't have to stay here. <laughs>